What I wanted to start out with, um, we are going through the book of Exodus. Let me back up here. Um, and Exodus is a book about God's people. I'm going to go up here. You're right, Paul. I can hear myself. All right, that's better. Um, is a book about God's people and how God's people are um, working through their different places. Um, God's people in, in verses, and what we've learned is that God's people are in kind of a battle. They're in a battle against the enemy. They're in a battle against um, evil. They're in a balance, battle against the Egyptians. They're, they've been enslaved by the Egyptians for the past hundreds of years. And in this, we are, we are reverbing. Um, but we are at a place, a big crossroads. So over the past few chapters, Reed has talked a little bit about um, the plagues. The plagues were brought on the Egyptian people. It was God's way of trying to free the Israelites from slavery. Um, in Exodus 13 and 14, we are starting to see that God's people are... Um, God really knows his people, and that's one thing that we, we see from the background. So God, in the verses before the, chap, the passage that we're going to read tonight, um, he explains that he led the Israelites exactly to this specific place for a specific purpose. Exodus 13 and the beginning of 14 explain that God led them on a long, confusing path on their way to the promised land. The, the, the land that God has promised them, full of milk and honey. Um, but he led them on a long and confusing path to the promised land because he knew that the Israelites, once they got there, they were, they were going to get antsy. They wouldn't, um, he didn't know if they would want to go back to Egypt. Um, but if he knew that if he led them on a long, confusing path, then they wouldn't have any way to get back to Egypt because they wouldn't know the way back. So essentially God in the the verses before this, he's essentially led the Israelites into a trap. Um, and the geography is important here. God tells them to camp in a place where they have the Red Sea on one side of them and they have the mountains on the other side. So there's essentially no way to escape. Um, and that's one of the reasons that Pharaoh decides to go back after them. Um, he, and that's where we pick up the story. The Israelites are trapped in this place. They've got 600 chariots and thousands of officers um, coming to take the Israelites back into slavery. Even after 10 plagues, even after losing their firstborn son, um, like Pharaoh did last week in the, in the Passover, um, Pharaoh is willing to take a chance because he wants the control back of the Israelites. And that's where we pick up um, in our passage. And we're going to be in Exodus 14. Um, and we've got 10 through 30 there. That was my fault. There's a 31. It kind of ends with Egyptians dying on the seashore. Um, there is a little bit more to it than that. Um, so y'all just pay attention to the last verse when I, as I read it. So we're in Exodus 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it's because there are no is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? It's not what we said to you in Egypt, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which we will work 
for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten the glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was a cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back, drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea and the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into, the, fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh and had fall, that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left the Lord, thus the Lord saved Israel the day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Exodus. We thank you for the truth that is within this passage. And Lord, I just pray that as we study it and as we um, look further into it, Lord, I just pray that you um, bring your truth to our hearts that we see and hear what we need to hear tonight. So Lord, I pray all of this in your name. Amen. So today we have, I've got three points, um, as any good Presbyterian um, has. Um, point one is God fights. Point two is God wins. And then point three is God is glorified. So let's look at the first point. Um, God fights. Let me, let me ask you a question first. How many times have you ever told somebody to leave you alone? If you've got a young, younger sibling, um, you've probably said it too many, too many times to count. If you have parents or grandparents or a guardian who raised you, um, then you've probably said, said those words a lot, leave me alone. What's another way to say, say leave me alone? Go away, worry about yourself, get out of here, I can deal with this situation myself, you're embarrassing me. 
There's so many other ways for this statement to be said, but they're all insinuating the same thing. I'm better off alone. There's so many other ways. This, and this is the title of my talk today. It's leave us alone. Because that's exactly what the Israelites tell God in verse 12. This is after God for the past 40 days has been protecting them and inflicting pain on their captors because he wants them to be free. God has done miracle after miracle, inflicted plague after plague on the Egyptians so that these people would be released from slavery. But when, they, when, when it comes down to it, they tell God to leave me alone. When they finally get out, all the Israelites get out of Egypt, all the Israelites want to do is go back to their old life. And it's because they don't know any other way. They don't know what life could look like on the outside of the chains of slavery and they're scared. To show the Israelites that, that fear can be defeated, God leads his people into a situation where they have no choice but to listen to him. And that's, that's what I was talking about with the background. They're, they're in this place. they got a mountains on their left and, or on their right. You know, I don't know what, what it is. One, <laughs> mountains on one side and a sea on the other. And, and their response is, man, God, leave us alone. And we say, they say we would have been better off stuck in slavery than, than if we had listened to you. Because now the Egyptians, in their heads, they're saying, man, these, the Egyptians are ticked off now. Now they're going to torture us. Now they're going to make us work this much harder. Which, in all honesty, like the situation that they're in, this is a logical response. Like, why did you bring us here, God? What are you doing? It looks like it's about to be a bloodbath. Except for one thing. The fact that God has been showing up and God has been fighting for them all across their history. And even when, when they want nothing to do with God, God shows up. The whole reason they're enslaved by Egypt is because they didn't listen to God in the first place. But God continues to fight this battle on their behalf. God is fighting for his people. He's fighting for me and for you, even when we tell God to leave us alone. Leave me alone, God. He's still fighting for us. We see this through the response of Moses in verse 14, that it says, Moses says in verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. In this situation where the enemy is bearing down on them and they're fearful that they're going to be tortured and, and thrown back into slavery, Moses tells them to be silent. This got me thinking about situations for me and maybe for you of, of things that, that you might be fearing. Um, a challenging situation that God's put you in, and, and the easy thing would be to turn back into, into the darkness or turn back to, to what you know, um, what you've experienced. But I don't think that's always the right answer, and I think that's what, what this passage is pointing at. Maybe you're afraid of, of disappointing your parents or losing your self-worth if you get a B or, or if you were to fail a class, so you're afraid of making mistakes. Maybe you're afraid that you're so entrenched in a sin that you don't know how God still loves you. So you're afraid of sin. Maybe, you're, maybe you struggle with body image and, and what people think about you, so you're afraid of what to put in your body. Maybe the anxieties and the pressures of making new friends in college has been too much for you to handle, and, and you feel like you're mentally at, and physically at a breaking point. So you're afraid of yourself. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety or depression or another reason um, or 
depression for another reason, and, and you don't know if you'll ever climb up out of this hole that you're in. You're afraid of your mental health. God is telling the Israelites to be silent. But hear this, God is not telling them to be silent as in, don't let those fears, like, don't do anything about those fears. But God is saying, be silent, meaning don't let those fears bring you to the point that the Israelites have gotten to in verses 11 and 12. Don't let those fears take God away from you. Don't let those fears take you to the breaking point where you just accept that being enslaved by your fear is how things are going to be. God is telling our fears to our fears to be silent. God is saying, don't let those fears dictate your life. Have freedom from the pressure of perfection because God is perfect. He's the only one that's perfect. Jesus was the only one who, who lived the perfect life. And God shows us how he fights through us throughout all of Scripture. And I think one of the, an illustration or a way that I started to think about this, and maybe Reed can shed more light on this than, than I can, but my wife and I are expecting our first child in July. Um, and so I think quiet is something we are going to lack a lot over the course of the next few years, um, probably the next 18 to 20 years of our life. Um, but, but something that I think is going to be important for us in parenthood is, is not simply telling our child to be quiet when they're, when they're hungry or when they're tired, because that doesn't work. When a baby's crying, most of the time it means they need something. We need to find out what the problem is, whether a child is hungry or has a dirty diaper, um, and give them what they need because they're helpless to help themselves. There will be times when our baby is crying for no reason, and we're begging them to be quiet um, so we can get some sleep. Um, or when they're older and when they're disobeying, we have to say, stop. And, this is, and I think that's more the situation that we have here. When we say, be still, we're not telling our child to stop feeling the way that they're feeling God is not telling the Israelites to stop feeling um, scared or stop feeling what well, he is telling. He's telling them to trust in him. He's telling them to, to listen to him, to watch the God and the, the parent who knows what their child needs or knows what, they're, um, what they need. So let me put it this way. Often I, I hear, and I think I was talking with a friend about this, often in the church we'll hear somebody give a quote um, like, God won't give you anything that you can't handle. And I want to push back on that, that language a little bit. I think the problem with that quote um, is that God gave the Israelites a situation that they couldn't handle. Right here. He, he put them in a position where, where they could not handle what was coming at them. And I think God gives us things that we can't handle all the time, which is why we have to rely on him to fight for us. I think the big truth of the statement um, that God won't give you anything that you can't handle is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the danger of that is if we start to try and handle things on our own. If we're trying to do things on our own, then we'll eventually lead to our own destruction, which we see with Pharaoh in this story, or the Egyptian army. And Pharaoh's not, not so different from us. Um, we, we hear in the story and we immediately... We see, hear about Pharaoh in this story, and immediately we associate ourselves with the Israelites. But don't overlook the fact that, that we're all born Pharaohs. We're all born with hardened hearts in need of the grace of God to open our eyes. A pastor named Bill Johnson explained it like this. If God continued to allow 
Egyptians and, and the evil that the pharaohs were, um, that the Egyptians were, were impacting on the Israelites. He said, if we continue to allow the Egyptians to exist, evil would spread. So in order for God to show his dominance and his glory, he had to defeat evil like he did in this, in this story. What happened to Pharaoh is a warning to each one of us that, that testing God and ignoring his power will ultimately lead to our failure and our destruction. God shows himself in, in these unexpected places and in these times of difficulty and struggle. And he, in each of our journeys, that will look different. We don't, we don't all have the same struggles. We don't have the same outlook. But our hope is the same. Our, the outlook in this situation is grim, but God has an amazing, amazing way of, of making his people whole again. He has a, an amazing way of defeating the enemy, which is my second point. God wins. So let's get back to the main portion of the story. Um, in only a way that God can pull off, he shows his dominance over the evil, and he tells the Israelites another thing after verse 14 where he says, be still. Um, in verse 15, he says, move forward. But they're not only moving forward on their own, they're moving forward with him in control. So God, God commands Moses to lift up his hands, and, and the sea begins to part on this path, um, and the sea becomes dry. When these Israelites are in this place where they don't have anywhere to go, um, God gives them a, a way. God puts a barrier between the Egyptians and the Israelites through a cloud, which we see in verses 19 and 20. And he does that so that God's people will be able to rest in him, knowing that they're safe in the arms of their God, who loves them and will always protect them. The moment that God tells Moses to raise up, to raise up his hands, the sea is parted, and God shows his power over Pharaoh. Everyone begins to see the power of God's power over evil. God is fighting for the Israelites, the Israelites who, who three sentences ago were saying that they'd rather be back in slavery than listen to God. But God still provides them a way out, even in their denial. God gives them a path to walk through. He, he does so by giving them literally no other choice. They can either take their chances with the, the coming Egyptian army or they can walk down the path that God has made specifically for them. But he does it in this powerful and moving way. He performs this miracle where the sea is literally moved out of the way. And there are some other things in the Bible and, and sources that describe this situation. And they're, they're pretty consistent in how they describe this situation to happen. They say that it's chaotic. Um, we see in the passage that there are strong winds. And I'm sure the currents of the water are the same. And it's a wild scene for everyone in, involved. Um, but he makes a clear path for the Israelites. I almost think of it as like the Israelites are in the eye of a hurricane. I'm sure you all have seen um, different videos or, or pictures. I'm a big weather guy. Um, and so like the eye of the hurricane right in the middle of the storm where there's chaos all around. There's just destruction and, and sadness all around. But in the middle of the storm, there's an area like a, a seven to ten mile area where there's just peace, there's quiet, there's no wind, um, everything is calm. And that's the choice that the Israelites have to make 
And it's, it sounds pretty simple. It's like, okay, I'm going to stay in the, in the calmness. Um, it's the choice to walk down the path that God has laid out for us in the book, which leads to the promised land where we can deny the help that God offers and we can re- remain enslaved by our burdens. The question is simple, good or evil? If you're asked that question in Sunday school or in a Marvel movie, the answer is always good. Um, but the problem with that is that we have the devil who, who, has the, who has power here on earth. And the devil has twisted sin around and made it really attractive to us. Good because of the lies and the confusion that um, our world and our, the devil tell us can become really hard to recognize. I think I thought I was thinking about it earlier to earlier this week, and I was thinking about um, have y'all seen the movie The Dark Knight? The Dark Knight Rises is um, like a Marvel movie. I don't know if it's Marvel or DC. No, no. <laughs> my my wife's a big Marvel person, so she she's I'm gonna get ridiculed when I get home. Pray for me. Um, but uh, the Joker, in, the Joker in the Dark Knight. Um, there's the Joker and there's Batman. Good versus evil. The Joker has rigged two boats. The city is in chaos. The, the city is being destroyed. And they have two boats that are exiting the city. And the Joker has rigged both of them to explode um, in a certain time frame. I think it's like 20 minutes he gives them um, until both boats explode. One boat has civilians on it. The other boat is full of criminals. Um, and the Joker gives each boat a way out. He says he gives both of them a trigger to the other boat to destroy the other boat. And he says, if you destroy the other boat, then your boat will be saved. Um, and in the movie, they go through this, this battle back and forth of whether they're going to destroy. They're like, man, the criminals deserve to die. We should blow them up. Um, but when it comes down to it, the people, they realize that neither one of them has the heart to, to destroy the other boat. And the time runs out, and I won't spoil the ending, but both the boats are saved. So I guess I did just ruin it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> every, every, you should have seen it. You should have seen it by now. Uh, both the boats are saved. Uh, the point is, <laughs> uh, the devil tries to convince us that there's no way out. <laughs> I'm sorry for those of you who I just ruined it for. Um, But the devil tries to convince us that there's no way out and that we have to choose evil or suffer the consequences. But that's not the truth. God has given us a way out that none of us could have expected. And that's what he did in this story. The devil is pushing the narrative that the law of God is enslavement. The devil is trying to convince you that, that you're enslaved by whatever it is you're struggling with. The devil is selling a false narrative and he uses any means necessary to push us away from the path that Jesus has laid out for us. The devil wants to keep us in the darkness. The devil wants to put as much fear into our minds and our hearts as possible and attack us at our deepest insecurities. And he does so all so that we overlook the freedom and the path that's right in front of us that God has laid out for us. The devil wants us to do what the joker in the dark night has done. He's trying to to make the people act impulsively and out of fear instead of acting out of truth and the goodness of their heart. But that's the opposite of our God. Our God knew the Israelites were scared. And he didn't tell them to fight the Egyptians. He didn't tell them to go back and submit to Pharaoh. He doesn't try to use deception and lies to try and win us over. Our God tells us to sit and listen and watch what I'm about to do. And he does something so amazing in in parting the sea. 
God is saying, I know life is hard and, and that's why I want you to trust in me um, because I will never leave you or forsake you. After God says, be quiet and still in verse 14, he says, go forward, like I said earlier. Um, but he doesn't say go forward and leads in the Egyptians into an, or the Israelites into another trap because he's blocked the Egyptians from getting to the Israelites. He's blocked them with this cloud. He's, he's stopped them in the mud and caused the Egyptians to begin to panic. They say in verse 25, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights against, them, against the Egyptians. Pharaoh and the Egyptians are now realizing that they have no chance because, they, because the God of Israel is fighting against them. And God wins. And his victory is, and in his victory, our God is glorified, which is my last point and the, the sec, third point in the handout. God is glorified. We see in the passage, it's mentioned multiple times in chapter 14, verses 4, 17, 18. Um, this quote, it says, I will get glory over Pharaoh. And what verses 17 and 18 are telling us is that God has no other option. He's, he's tried time and time again to show Pharaoh, show the Egyptians that, that they need to let his people go, but they keep denying him because they don't believe that he's his Lord. And so God is left with no choice but to, to show the Egyptians that he is Lord. God is doing this so that it's clear to his people and to the people around them that he is the true king. People at this time were thinking Pharaoh could be the king, um, but he, he has to fully prove to them that, that Pharaoh is not God. He is not a God. He's, he's just a man. God knows that the only way to show the Egyptians who he is is to show them that they are not in control. The blessing of the parting of seas for the believers also comes with a warning to those who do not believe. Um, a commentary that I was reading um, earlier says, the wall of protection for you, um, talking about the wall of water, the wall of protection for you and me served as a tumbling wall of death for the Egyptians. The water thus signifies both a blessing and a curse. Which brought me to, to a thought um, of the, the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is a foreshadowing towards that. When, when Jesus died on the cross, it was not just, and, and rose again, it was not just new life for those who believe, but it was a death sentence to sin and darkness. In the case of the Egyptians, God showed them the power, showed them power through natural disasters, and then he showed them pain with the next few plagues, and then he showed them death um, to try and get their attention. But every time when the plague was over, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were unable to, to help themselves. They, they, they just could not let God be in control. They could not let the Israelites go. And what I want to get at is that, that God may do this in our lives too. He may push us to the breaking point, um, but he's pushing us so that we'll see what we're really missing out on, to see what giving up control could look like. The Egyptians and Pharaoh were unwilling to give up control, and it led to their demise. Um, and I think that's a key in our passage. And I, I think I've... Um, have one more illustration that I hope um, will help you think about this a little bit. I've told you all before that I'm a big animal person. Like, I love animals. Um, and I, I love just, like, weird sports, too. And so um, combine those two, you get the Iditarod. Anybody know what the Iditarod is? So the Iditarod is a cross-country race um, between the, the most 
alpha dogs in, in the world. Um, it's a thousand mile race. It's, it's basically, um, dogs are pulling about a sled um, and it's a 15 to 18 to eight day race, um, a thousand miles in the snow and 12 to 14 dogs with, with one musher, one man who's in char- charge of the dogs. And on the, on the dog team, there's one lead dog. Um, they call him the, the lead dog, um, as, 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 as one would. And in, in a sport like this, they don't get real creative. We call large group, large group. We have small groups. We're not, we're not super um, creative. But this dog is clearly the leader of the group. Um, all the other dogs rely on him, um, and he's not able to take a step back. Um, I was watching this documentary, and it was talking about how if the lead dog is not going to go, you can't just take the lead dog and put him in the middle of the pack when he's having a bad day because these dogs are trained to know that this lead dog is the one that they have to follow. They're, they're trained to know that um, this dog is the pace setter. This is the dog that's going to lead us um, to victory. And so if that dog is not having a good day, then, then it affects the entire group. And so it made me think about um, us and our faith and and we are not made to be the lead dog in our faith. That's not our role. That's the role that Pharaoh was trying to play. Jesus is our communicator. He's the one at the front of the line who leads us away from danger. He's the one who will never slow down, will never tell us that we need to lead the pack because it doesn't work that way. What The other, dog, the other dogs would still try to follow their leader when when they put this dog in the back. And so if we try and take God's place in the front of the pack, um, it's not going to go the way that we plan. Um, And it's it's just, it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't compute. God is always at the front of the line. He never gets tired or old. He, and it, it doesn't mean that we're, it's not going to be hard for us to, to run in the race. And the Bible so many times talks about our faith as, as if we're running a race, and it explains it that way. We have to have perseverance. We have to keep going when, when we want to quit. But as long as we keep running the race and, and following the path that Jesus is leading us on, we will be blessed. The Israelites here had a pathway created by God out of Egypt through the Red Sea, And today we have a pathway created by God through Jesus who gave his only son, who who took our sins upon himself and died and rose again. When we look at this story as a whole, I had my three main points. God fights, God wins, God is glorified. And then when we line that up with the rest of scripture and look look at what Jesus did for us, it lines up perfectly. Jesus fights. He willingly took our sin upon himself and was tortured and died the death that we deserve on the cross. So Jesus fights. And then Jesus wins. Jesus defeated evil because he rose from the dead. Jesus is glorified. Jesus has been raised up into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And this story about the Red Sea is a foreshadowing into something greater and into something greater, into into Jesus The fight is not over, and evil still exists on earth, but as we learned last semester in Revelation, we are in a time of already, but we're, because Jesus has come, um, and we've, we've got, we're in a much better place than the the Israelites, because we can look back on Jesus, we have um, his words to, to hold on to, but we're also in a time of waiting, like the Israelites, we're waiting because one day Jesus will come again, and sin and darkness will be no more.
forever. So I don't want, what I don't want you to walk away with tonight is, is that you need to just sit and be quiet and not speak your feelings when you're scared. Um, that's not what God is actually saying. What I'm saying is the opposite. What I'm saying is go to God when things get hard. Some of you might even be saying, man, I do go to God and I, I feel even more anxious, where I feel like God might be the source of my anxiety. What I want to say to you is our God shows up when we, even when we tell him to leave us alone. He remains. He is steady. He is good. He is always with us. Sin and darkness will not be forever. The Israelites felt the same way. They thought God was the source of their problems, but God was really their only solution. So I say this again um, as the lesson teaches, be still. Rest in the arms and the security of Jesus. Know that even in your weakness, he is strong. Press forward. Lean into the avenues that God has given you for comfort. The church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, prayer, his word. But also rest in the assurance that, that Reed talked about last week. That if your faith is in Christ, we can rest. We can trust that God is leading us. Be free to know that our God has defeated sin and death and fear and has given us a clear path to the promised land through his son, Jesus. Glory be to God.